The following episode may contain language that is not suitable for certain listeners. Listener's discretion is advised. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Cells and Circuits podcast. I am your host, Chibeze Anakor, and on this episode, we'll be talking about the rise of gaming Chromebooks. Then after that, we'll get into one of the most impactful anime of the 2010s, And then after that, we'll be looking back on DC Universe. And without further ado, let's jump right into it. Alright, so first up, we're going to talk about the rise of gaming Chromebooks. So, for those of you who don't know, um, Asus had announced its Chromebook CM5 at CES 2021 last week. So, Asus is basically making the first gaming Chromebook. And this is something that we've never seen before. It's something that has been hinted at. Um, if you look at, you know, some of the uh, Chromium repository stuff and or, and things like that. But, but it's very interesting to me because with the rise of cloud gaming services like GeForce Now and Google Stadia, which is... Asus even name drops on its website, and I'll get to that in a minute, but it's interesting that um, people are gaming more on Chromebooks now, and Asus really sees that, so they're trying to meet that demand, um, which is awesome. Um, So I'm going to go over... The design and the specs a little bit um, before I can get into why this computer exists. So, um, as far as the design goes, it comes in a mineral gray color, um, and then, excuse me, the WASD keys are colored orange on the sides so that clearly lets you know that you know those are the keys that um that you use um when you're gaming so uh yeah and also the power and volume buttons on the sides of the laptop are orange as well so orange is really the accent color of this laptop and you know, I'm all here for it. Um, I mean, personally, I'm, or I'm a black and red type of person, but orange is close enough to red that I could probably live with that. Um, and then as far as the specs go, this laptop has an AMD Ryzen 3 3250U or you can spec it up to an AMD Ryzen 5 3500U um, processor. And then as far as the RAM goes, um, there are three configurations. You have four gigs of RAM, eight gigs of RAM, and 16 gigs of RAM. And then as far as the storage goes, you have 64 gigabytes of eMMC storage, and then the 128, 256, and 512 gigabyte options for this laptop are all NVMe SSDs, um, which are faster storage options than the 64 gig eMMC option. Um, and um, for and for those of you who like putting micro SD cards in your laptops. I'm happy to say that this laptop has expandable storage via micro SD. So, so that's very good news. Um, because that's, 
something you see less and less of on laptops. Um, maybe not Chromebooks as much, unless you're talking about, you know, the made by Google ones. Um, and then in that case, yeah, they don't have micro SD slots on them. But other than those, and maybe a couple others, micro SD card slots are pretty standard on Chromebooks. So very nice to see that here. Um, and then as far as the display goes, it's a 15.6 inch 1080p LCD touchscreen with an 81% screen to body ratio. So um, that should be great for playing games because it gives you a pretty big screen to play games on. Um, and 1080p is a pretty good um, resolution. It's standard for most laptops and it's enough for most people. Um, and I think the laptop gets as bright as 250 nits. So I don't think that's, um, I don't think that's, you know, very bright if you're trying to play in direct sunlight. But um, I imagine, you know, since this is more of a gaming focused Chromebook, a lot of people will be using it indoors, especially because, you know, pandemic. <laughs> but uh, anyway, um, and then finally, the ports. So... For this laptop, you get two USB-C ports, one USB-A port, one HDMI port, one headphone jack, or headphone and microphone jack, which is nice to see, of course, and then also a micro SD card slot, like I said earlier, for expandable storage. So, pretty standard um, port selection there. Um, and it's nice to see the full-size USB-A and HDMI ports so that you're less likely to live the dongle life. Um, so, very nice to see. Um, but, yeah, let's get into why this laptop was made. So, this laptop was clearly designed with cloud gamers in mind. And, like I said um, earlier... Asus name drops Google Stadia and NVIDIA GeForce Now on their website in order to um, highlight the fact that this laptop will work really great for cloud gaming. Um, and Asus also mentions that it's Wi-Fi stabilizer technology is in there. I don't or I'm not really sure. Um, I'm not really sure what that does. I'm, or judging by the name, I'm guessing that it tries to keep your Wi-Fi connection as stable as possible, which also helps with cloud gaming um, because that's completely dependent on your internet connection. So, so that'll be interesting to see. Um, and then. Also, you can play cloud gaming services with a keyboard and mouse. Google Stadia supports keyboard and mouse input. NVIDIA GeForce Now or supports keyboard and mouse input as well. So that's why you had the colored WASD keys on the laptop. And, and that's why it's more colorful than the other um, Asus Chromebooks that they have um, in their lineup for this year. Um, and so this laptop is clearly gaming fo focused, um, you know, in terms of cloud gaming, but also um, last year, or maybe it was in 2019, I'm not sure, but Google and Valve had entered an agreement to try and bring Steam natively to Chrome OS, which is great news for especially Linux gamers because you can play the Linux versions of games 
via Steam on a Chromebook. And quite frankly, judging from or judging from all the specs and all the design things and all and everything I just talked about from this laptop, this could be the ideal device to play Steam games on if um, if you want a Chromebook that's able to play Steam games um, via or that's able to play games designed for Linux via Steam, this is this is kind of one of the best devices that you could do it on. Um, or one of the best mainstream devices that you could do it on. So, yeah. Um, also, um, we can get into what this laptop could inspire. So, I think that um, this laptop could inspire more gaming-focused Chromebooks. So, um and especially from traditional laptop brands and maybe um, sub-brands of those traditional laptop brands and just plain old gaming brands in general. So we could see maybe HP try and, um, try and make their own version of this. We could see Lenovo try and make their own version of this. Um, We could see maybe Dell making their own version of this. Who knows? But um, that would be be a very interesting development to see. Um, I personally am interested in this Chromebook because I've been wanting to get out of Windows for quite a long time. And there's only one app keeping me on Windows, to be honest, but if that app can, you know, get ported over to Chrome OS, I don't care if it's a PWA or, or a desktop class Android app, I just, or I just want, um, I just want that app on Chrome OS, which is Descript, by the way, that's the app that I use to edit this podcast. If that come or if that comes to Chrome OS, like I there'll be no reason for me to get a Windows computer ever again. But um but I'm or I've been looking into um this particular Chromebook ever since it was announced at CES. Um and I think that it could very well um it could very well inspire other laptop brands to make their own gaming focused Chromebooks. And who knows? Um maybe even um maybe even or if cloud gaming becomes more popular, we could even see um these traditional laptop brands maybe um, using some of their sub brands for gaming um, and putting those or associating Chromebooks with those brands too. So we could see maybe a or an Asus ROG Chromebook, or we could see an HP Omen Chromebook, or a Lenovo Legion Chromebook, or um, an Alienware Chromebook. Like, there are so many options here. Um, Or maybe we could even see a brand like, I don't know, MSI or Razer get into Chromebooks too um, and make some gaming focused Chromebooks with all the RGB and everything Um, (laughs) that would be awesome to see but a boy can dream Um, but yeah I would very much like to see more gaming focused Chromebooks come to the market but what do you think do you think that Gaming-focused Chromebooks could be a thing. Do you think that 
it'll just be a one and done thing from Asus and no one else will copy it. Do you think that Asus will be the only brand that really gives a damn about um, gaming focused Chromebooks? Let me know what your thoughts are on social media or on Discord and we can continue the conversation there. I will have a link to that in my flow page link in the show notes right below that subscribe or follow button depending on which platform you're on. And yeah, that's going to do it for this topic. Up next, we'll be getting into one of the most impactful anime of the 2010s. Then after that, we'll be looking back on DC Universe. The Cells and Circuits podcast will be right back. This episode is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First, it's free. So, I mean, doesn't get any cheaper than that. Second, there are creation tools that will allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. I'm editing this podcast from a Chromebook using the web, so it's pretty easy to do. Um, If I can do it, you can certainly do it. Third, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and so many more services. So you don't have to go to each individual podcast service and distribute it yourself. It automatically does that for you. So that's pretty awesome. Fourth, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So, I mean, it's a pretty good way to make some money. Um, And then last but not least, it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app for iOS or Android or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M to get started or download the app for iOS or Android today. This episode is sponsored by Yubico. Yubico sets new world standards for simple, secure login, preventing unauthorized access to computers, servers, and internet accounts. Their YubiKey is a physical security key using two-factor authentication to protect your accounts. As more of us continue to work from home, it is more important than ever to protect your secure information. So, what can you do to protect your accounts? Well, Yubico is offering our listeners $10 off your next purchase of $100 or more using the code POD at yubico.com. That's code P-O-D at Y-U-B-I-C-O dot com. Say hello to the YubiKey and goodbye to account takeovers. Hey, Cells and Circuits listeners. Did you know that we now have a merch store? It's true. In partnership with Bonfire, we've launched the Cells and Circuit Shop, where you can find t-shirts, hoodies, face masks, and more. So hit the link in the show notes to visit the Cells and Circuit Shop and start getting your merch today. It really does help out the show. Thanks for your support, and now, back to the show. All right, so next up, we're going to talk about one of the most impactful anime of the 2010s. So if I were to ask you, what was the most impactful anime of the 2010s? You know, chances are most people would probably say one of the following titles, Attack on Titan. My Hero Academia, One Punch Man, Mob Psycho 100, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, or something else. But 
What if I told you that there was a series that actually ended up changing the way that we view anime, but also furthered the careers of some of the most talented anime creators in Japan? Well, actually, that show exists. And that show is called Space Dandy. So, for those of you who don't know, this month marked the seven-year anniversary of Space Dandy. Or, of Space Dandy's world premiere. Um, And speaking of world premieres, Space Dandy world premiered on January 4th, 2014, as part of Toonami on Adult Swim. And what that means is, if you saw Space Dandy on Toonami during that time, you got to see Space Dandy even before the people in Japan ever did. So, take that, sub-elitists. <laughs> Anyway, um, but yeah, the English dub of Space Dandy premiered first, but that's beside the point. Um, Well, actually, it's not, but we'll just keep going. Um, (laughs) But Space Dandy had world premiered in January 2014 on Toonami, and... Space Dandy was just so unique in so many ways. Like, it, or for example, it brought in some of the best talent Japan had to offer. And so, um, you, of course, well, I should say, Space Dandy's general director is Shinichiro Watanabe, who. If you've listened to this podcast before, chances are you've probably heard me mention his name before. Um, You know, he's the director of Cowboy Bebop, um, Samurai Champloo, and he would later go on to direct titles like Carol and Tuesday, Terror and Resonance, Kids on the Slope. Things like that. Um, So, very, very, very talented director. Um, And one of my favorite anime directors of all time. Um, But, he's not the only talent that was brought on to this show. You also have Shingo Natsume, who is... um, Who is one of the episode directors of the series um he directs multiple episodes throughout the series and he would later go on or after this show he would later go on to direct the famously revered one punch man season one and then after that boogie pop and others um so there's that um so there's that person um Also, um, you have Masaki Yuasa, who was pretty famous before his appearance on Space Dandy, but after his appearance on Space Dandy, he went on to do even bigger and better things. So, of course, um, before Space Dandy, he was um, one of the directors, or he was the director of mind game um i believe he also did um one of the digimon movies i believe or i mean i may not i may not be entirely sure on that but i know he did mind game um that i know um and then also um he would later go on to do ping pong the animation um, and then, of course, Devilman Crybaby, um, and Japan Sinks 2020, um, so yeah, I mean, 
Like, the man is kind of a legend in the anime industry. And he also did, or he also guest directed an Adventure Time episode called Food Chain. So there's that too. Um, And then you also have Sayo Yamamoto, who was the director of Michiko and Hachin, and also Lupin the Third, the woman called Fujiko Mine. So she is a very um, talented director as well. Um, and then also you have Unyang Choi. God, I hope I'm fucking pronouncing that name right. I'm so sorry if I didn't. Um, but she had, um, or after she worked on Space Dandy, she had gone on to work on things like Devilman Crybaby and Keep Your Hands Off Azoken which I still haven't watched yet. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely need to watch Azoken. I have watched Devilman Crybaby, and I loved it, though. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, so Space Dandy um, was unique in the fact that, it, or because it was episodic in nature, kind of like Cowboy Bebop. So, you... Um, because it was episodic, you had different directors um, of certain episodes coming in and offering their own or telling their own story um, within the parameters of the show, um, which was very nice. And as someone who watched it during its premiere run on Toonami, I had to wait week to week to find out what was um, going to um, happen in the next episode. So I really didn't know what I was going to get week to week. Um, and that was that kind of added to the excitement level that I felt for Space Dandy. Um, I mean, nowadays that or that uh, novelty has worn off because it's freely available on streaming and you can binge it whenever you want. Um, but, um, But as someone who watched it week to week, it was very nice to um, just not know what you were getting next because it wasn't a shonen anime. Um, so, like, you didn't really, or there weren't too many tropes. There were some tropes, um, but not as much um, as other anime. Um, but, and some of those tropes that are in Space Dandy can be off-putting to some people. But I do think that it did enough things right for me to kind of overlook some of its um, some of its shortcomings, but also, like, Space Dandy was just not really that much afraid of killing off its characters in each episode, because, um, for every episode, for the most part, um, everything would reset, um, when the next episode starts, so, um, like, you could really do whatever you want with the characters. You could kill them off. You could, um, you know, have them, like, go to hell or something like that. Or you could have them fight zombies. Or you could tell a heartwarming story. Anything. Um, and that was the beauty of Space Dandy. Like, or like I said, you never knew what you were going to get. You could get a heartwarming episode one week. Then the next week you could get like just a visual stunner of an episode. And then the following week you would get like a very thought provoking episode. It was just a mystery box watching it week to week on Toonami back in 2014. And it was awesome. Um, but sadly, I can't recreate that now um with streaming um so or because i already know what's going to happen 
But anyway, um, another way Space Dandy was unique um, was that it literally changed the way that we view anime. So, and that's something that the Attack on Titans of the world, the My Hero Academias of the world, the uh, JoJo's Bizarre Adventures of the world, the Demon Slayers of the world, that's something that those anime cannot say. Like, <laughs> they can't say that. Um, but Space Dandy can definitely say that that show legitimately changed the way that we view anime. And what I mean by that is that it introduced what we now call simuldubs. So at the time, Funimation called them broadcast dubs, but simuldubs have basically become an anime industry standard with Crunchyroll and High Dive offering their own versions of simuldubs as well. And so you have Crunchyroll who, you know, dubs their shows while they're airing in Japan as well as as well as high dive um, for certain titles. But Funimation is the studio that started it. Oh, yeah, first started it, but also produces the most output of simuldubbed content. Um, and so simuldubs are, um, for those of you who don't know, simuldubs are um, English dubbed versions of anime that are being made while the series is still airing in Japan. So normally, um, or I should say, so in the past, we would have to wait, you know, maybe um, like one to two years. Um, and then, you know, we would have to wait until either it came on television, like on Toonami, on Cartoon Network, or um, we would have to wait until it came on home video, either VHS or DVD, in order to in order to hear the English language version of that anime. Which, thankfully, now that we have simuldubs, that or that gap between the Japanese broadcast and the English dub has shrunk down significantly into only a matter of weeks. It used to be years, but now it's weeks, which is absolutely freaking insane. Um, and that is something that Space Dandy directly started. And even Funimation says this in their article, which I will have linked in the show notes, Space Dandy was directly cited by Funimation um, as the reason why their simuldub program started. They, uh, or in that announcement, they said that um, the success of Space Dandy's run on Toonami was the reason why they started their broadcast dub program, which is now called Simuldubs. So, Space Dandy literally changed the way that we view anime today. So if you're someone who likes to watch English dubbed anime at the same time or during the Japanese broadcast period of that same anime, you have Space Dandy to thank for that. So I highly recommend watching Space Dandy um, and or just because it's unique in so many ways, but also it literally changed the way we view anime. And you can watch Space Dandy on Funimation um, and let me know what you think of it. So, yeah, um, 
Let me know what you think of Space Dandy in general. Um, also, let me know what you think of my analysis of Space Dandy. Do you think that Space Dandy literally changed the way we view anime? Do you think it was unique in many ways? Do you think that um, its world premiere um, had an impact on the anime industry in general? Let me know what you think. Um, and also, do you think that I'm giving Space Dandy more credit than it's actually due? Let me know your thoughts on social media or on Discord, and we can continue the conversation there. But that is going to do it for this topic. Up next, we'll be looking back on DC Universe. The Cells and Circuits podcast will return in a moment. Are you a small business looking for a financial platform to do business on? Check out Payment, the first black-owned financial platform where you can do things like sending invoices, accepting payments, and more features will be added in the future. If you watch Trigger Warning with Killer Mike on Netflix, you know that money stays within the black community for an average of six hours compared to the days and sometimes weeks that other communities get. So if you want to bring or keep money in the black community, join Payment, that's P-E-Y-M-Y-N-T, at the affiliate link in the show notes today. Hey, Cells and Circuits listeners. Want to support the show without having to buy any merch? Well, you can do that by buying us a coffee. All it takes is just one U.S. dollar to help support the show. So click the link in the show notes or go to ko-fi.com slash Cells and Circuits to help make the Cells and Circuits podcast a better show for you. Alright, so last up, we're going to be looking back on DC Universe. So for those of you who don't know, as of this week, DC Universe changed into DC Universe Infinite. And what I mean by that is DC Universe basically slimmed down into a comics-only app. Before, it used to have both comics and the movies and TV shows that deal with DC characters. But now, most of the video content that was on DC Universe has moved over to HBO Max, which is another Warner Media owned streaming service. So, um, there are still some gaps in HBO Max's DC offerings, such as Static Shock and Batman the Brave and the Bold and more. Um, like, neither of those series are on HBO Max yet. Um, I'm sure they'll be added in due time, but for, or, but at the time of this recording, they are not on HBO Max just yet. Um, but anyway, um, so let's get into why DC Universe was created. So DC Universe was a streaming service that was designed to, um, it was designed to be a one-stop shop for all things DC, including comics, movies, and TV shows. And it allowed DC to distribute its content or its content directly to consumers without needing traditional TV networks, cartoon <coughs> <or two> network. <coughs> um, but um, yeah, I mean. So, in theory, 
Like, that was kind of, or in theory, that was a great move, especially because Warner Brothers knew that there are a lot of DC fans out there. Um, Like, you know, how many Batman movies and TV shows have there been? You know, how many, uh, or how many Justice League things have there been? Like, or movies and TV shows have there been? Like, just DC and Warner Brothers know that people like these characters and like to interact with the various types of media that these characters are in. So it was pretty, or so it was a smart move at the time. But um, one thing happened that that kind of doomed DC Universe from the start, and I'll get to that in a bit. But, um, but let's talk about its original content, um, before I do that. So, um, I should mention that I've only watched, um, the animated originals that DC had. I didn't watch any of the live action originals that they had, so... Um, first up, we're going to talk about Young Justice. So, Young Justice was a show that um, premiered in the launch period of DC Universe. I think, like, maybe what? Or it was, or like, season three was one of the shows, or season three of Young Justice was one of the things that um, Warner Brothers um, wanted to use to draw people into the streaming service. So, Young Justice premiered back in 2010 on Cartoon Network and ran for two seasons before it was eventually canceled, like many of the other action-oriented programs on Cartoon Network. Um, so, so when, um, DC Universe had started, um, or I should say, Young Justice then appeared on streaming services like Netflix, where, um, a lot of people had, watch the show in order to try and get a third season made. And clearly, Warner Brothers saw that there was interest in a third season of Young Justice. So, when they were making uh, DC Universe, they decided, hey, you know, there were a lot of people who really wanted a third season of Young Justice... So, there's a pretty good chance that um, we would get some subscribers if we brought back this show for our streaming service. And that's exactly what they did. And Disney would later copy this strategy for Disney Plus um, with Star Wars The Clone Wars. Um, But that's beside the point. Um... Anyway, um, Young Justice Season 3 was, um, I wouldn't say it was a launch title for DC Universe, but it premiered pretty close to the launch of DC Universe, maybe like a few months after that. Um, But, um, yeah, I mean, it's... Or it was one of the reasons why I considered getting a DC Universe subscription, but I never ended up doing that um, because I knew that it would be um, folded into either Verve or HBO Max. Um, because shortly after DC Universe was or had launched, 
HBO Max was announced. Um, so I knew that um, some of either some of or all of DC Universe's content was going to appear on HBO Max at some point. Um, so that's what held me off from uh, subscribing to DC Universe um, in the first place. But um, yeah, I mean, that's Young Justice. And then Harley Quinn, um, which is the other DC Universe original that I want to talk about. That premiered in 2019 um, and got quite a bit of buzz from it, um, especially um, with the trailer that um, they dropped before the series had premiered. I believe it was at like the Comic Con that um, premiered or that uh, had or the Comic Con that had occurred that summer before the series had premiered. Excuse me. Um, and in that trailer, Harley Quinn basically was like, hey, the show's actually coming out, you know. Unlike that Deadpool cartoon, which I'm still sad about, um, and hopefully Disney can revive that, please and thank you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, that was what caught my eye because, like, she um, or Harley Quinn had said that in um, the trailer, um, and so I'm like, okay, clearly this is meant for adults or this is an adult animated series, and it later premiered, um, I believe it was like either November or December of 2019, um, and I saw the first episode because uh, TBS had premiered, um, or they had shown like the television premiere of uh, episode one, but... Um, or just to um, promote DC Universe. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, it was, uh, or Harley Quinn was a show that just, it, like, it had interested me, but, again, or just like Young Justice, it was, like, not enough to get me to subscribe. Um, and then, as far as Titans and Doom Patrol and Swamp Thing and Stargirl um, had been concerned, like, I didn't watch any of them. I, um, I wasn't really interested in Titans or, uh, or Doom Patrol um, or really any of the live-action stuff, but um, Young Justice and Harley Quinn, like, almost got me to subscribe, but, um, but that didn't end up happening, and I'm kind of glad that it didn't, because, <laughs> um, all of the, uh, DC content is now moving to HBO Max, so, um, which I already do subscribe to, so I don't have to spend additional money, um, and add an additional streaming service to my bills. So that's great news. <laughs> um, but let's get into why DC Universe shut down. So um, the thing that I think doomed DC Universe as a video content platform from the start was the AT&T acquisition of Time Warner because AT&T wanted to, you know, obviously start its own huge, all-encompassing streaming service to compete with the likes of Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hulu, Disney+, Plus, um, Peacock, and all the other ones. Um, 
that are out there. But HBO Max, um, it was obviously um, going to be an all-encompassing um, Warner Media streaming service. So um, once DC started to, um, or once DC Universe had started, like I kind of knew that it wasn't really long for this world, but um, that was another reason why I just like held off on it was because I knew DC Universe was going to shut down at some point due to the existence of HBO Max. But um, yeah, I mean, AT&T, like they've been desperately trying to grow HBO Max as of late. Um, and we've seen this with the recent announcement of all of uh, Warner Brothers' 2021 films will be releasing day and date in theaters and on HBO Max. So, so AT&T really wants to grow HBO Max by sacrificing um, some of the profits that they would have made in theaters um but you know you can only delay a movie for so long um before you start to lose um some money on that film so yeah i mean i completely understand why at&t did it even though they should have definitely uh, contacted the filmmakers beforehand but that's beside the point um and AT&T is trying to desperately grow HBO Max. And also, they're trying to reduce their debt load because AT&T is probably one of the most indebted companies in the world. So, um, I believe they have like something like um, over $100 billion in debt. Um, so they're trying to reduce that as much as possible. Um, and they've been, um, doing that by, or one of the ways they've been doing that is to get rid of smaller streaming services. Um, and DC universe falls into this category. So, um, some of the smaller streaming services that AT&T, um, has either gotten rid of, or gotten rid of, excuse me, or is in the process of getting rid of our Filmstruck, um, and then Drama Fever. So Filmstruck was a classic film streaming service. Um, it basically um, was operated by TCM and Warner Brothers. Um, so there was that. And then Drama Fever was a streaming service focused on Korean dramas or K-dramas. Um, and both of those streaming services got shut down shortly after the AT&T acquisition of Time Warner had happened. And then another uh, smaller streaming service that AT&T is in the process of getting rid of is Crunchyroll, which um, at the time of this recording is pending a sale to Sony. So, um, so once that acquisition closes, um, Sony um, will own Crunchyroll in addition to Funimation, their other anime brand. Um, and DC Universe is just another one of those smaller streaming services that they're trying to um, get rid of. Now, they didn't completely get rid of it. I mean, it or it's now comics only at this point, but um, all of the video content has pretty much been moved over to HBO Max for the most part. Um... And then I expect Boomerang, 
the streaming service to follow in DC Universe's footsteps. I do think that the Boomerang streaming service isn't long for this world either. Um, But again, that's beside the point. Um, And one of the ways that we kind of knew the writing was on the wall for DC Universe was that... um, AT&T was kind of pushing new DC shows and movies to HBO Max that could have been on DC Universe. So what I mean by that is uh, we had different DC shows and movies um, that very well could have... They very well could have had their place on DC Universe and would have you know, driven people to the service, but instead HBO Max um, is more of a priority to AT&T than DC Universe is or was. Um, So we got um, news or so we're getting new shows such as Aquaman, King of Atlantis, um, Batwheels and Peacemaker, all of which are coming to HBO Max And then, as far as movies go, we're getting Justice League, the director's cut, or as um, other people like to call it, the Snyder cut. Um, Which, I personally think that uh, the Snyder cut would have been a project too big in scope to fit on just DC Universe. I think that... or. It being on HBO Max is definitely, or that definitely is where it um, should be. But all of the other things that I just mentioned could have easily gone on DC Universe if it were still around. But it's not. So, um, um, yeah, I mean, DC Universe, um, what could I say? It's... It was a victim of the streaming wars, um, and it's unfortunate because um, there aren't really that many apps, if any, that tried to do what DC Universe tried to do. So I really do appreciate DC Universe in that regard, but or even if I didn't subscribe to it, but other than that, I mean, yeah, um, I mean, it's gone now. Um, Rest in peace, DC Universe. Um, But now, um, it will... Or the question is whether or not AT&T has enough um, DC content or, or is giving consumers enough incentive to... Instead of paying $8 a month for just DC content, now they have to pay a whopping $23 a month for both DC Universe Infinite, the comics-only app, and HBO Max um, for the movies and TV shows uh, from the DC Universe. So that's the question, is whether or not... um, consumers are willing to pay for both services um so yeah um that's pretty much it let me know what you think of this whole dc universe uh situation did you subscribe to dc universe um i definitely want to hear from you if you did subscribe um what was your um favorite show especially original um show on DC Universe um did you like the aspect of reading the comics and watching the TV shows and movies in one app let me know what your thoughts are on DC Universe on social media or on Discord and we can continue the conversation there but yeah that is going to do it for this topic Thank you so much for listening to the Cells and Circuits podcast, the place for tunes, tech, and where they intersect. 
Let me know what you think of any of the topics discussed on social media or on Discord via the All My Links profile linked in the show notes. If you like this content, share it on social media and give it a review to help more people find it. If you want to see even more content just like this, consider supporting Cells and Circuits on Coffee or visiting the Cells and Circuits shop. The Cells and Circuits podcast was written, produced, and edited by me, Chibeze Anacor, and our intro and outro and transition music was made by Tiffy3. That'll do it for this episode, so until next time, I'm Chibeze, signing off.